Good morning. Whew, that was beautiful, wasn't it? Just beautiful worship this morning. I'm still kind of undone. And it doesn't help that I was cutting jalapenos all, the, all afternoon yesterday. And I'm already crying. I'm trying to wipe my eyes. And it's like, oh. So anyway, so glad you're here this morning. Are you glad to be here? God is so good. So good. I'm so thankful for you. It's one of the reasons the Lord has just kind of broken my heart this morning because how much I love you and how much I love what he's doing here at South City Church. We are so honored to have you here with us this morning. Uh, today is a special day. I think it just makes it that much more sweet that it's your anniversary because we adore you, we love you, and, and even just thinking of God's goodness to you and to me and to all of us that just led us to this beautiful place of worship this morning. You know, our church is really not that old as South City. We just launched South City a little over a year ago at Easter. And so, you know, last Easter, South City was pretty much a name and some ideas. You know what I mean? And so we were hoping that we could become a, a church, and, and God has been doing an amazing work. But when you get started in something, you really just kind of have to put something out there. You have to put a plan, a hope. Uh, you want to fix, fix a problem. You want to solve an issue. You want to be all that God wants you to be. And that's kind of what you start with. Uh, in fact, I like this quote from Abraham Lincoln. It says, determine that thing that a thing can, uh, can and shall be done, and then we'll find a way. You got to start with a vision. Determine that, that there's a need. Determine that something has to change. Something has to be better. And put that out there. What is that thing? Figure out what that is. And then we'll figure out the way. And that's kind of what we've been doing over the last uh, year and a half here at South City Church. You know, a, a few weeks ago, Pastor Elvis stood up here and he read our vision statement. And as he read our vision statement, I, I was listening, but I kind of went, I started drifting off a little bit. And I started thinking about flying home from a trip that I was on, on and I'm on a plane and I'm right, you know, I've got the little, the little table down, you know, and I'm writing on the back of a napkin our vision statement. And I'm, and I'm writing in different ways, and I'm trying to find the best way to, that for it to be said, and, and I'm thinking through, and I'm writing out our core values, and my mind went to that moment. And it was just surreal to think what well, seemed like yesterday, Brother Jerry, writing on the back of a, a napkin, a vision statement and some core values, is today what it is that who we are and who we're trying to be. That's, that's what a vision is. Uh, it's one thing uh, to preach different things throughout the year and different series, but listen, if there's one thing we can't do enough, that is to preach our vision, right? If, if there's one thing we need to speak over and over and over again, it's who we want to be as a church, our vision statement. You've seen it as you've come in the back door, right? You've heard us say it. Many of you, a friend of mine even almost quoted it. He almost quoted it yesterday at a small group leaders thing that we were doing. But the reality is, if we don't have something that's leading us, if we don't have a vision that we're shooting for, Scripture says we'll lose our way. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people, in the King James it says, will perish. If you don't have a vision, the people will perish. Some of your translations say, where there's no vision, people will cast off restraint. In other words, they'll go crazy. We've got to have something that gives us direction. We have to have something that, that leads us and helps us to try and be defined by what it is the thing that we're trying to do. So we need a vision. 
It's, it's the thing we work towards. We don't want to lose our way. You know, I studied uh, business in college, and I love great businesses that have great vision statements. They just, they're inspiring to me. And so, I, you know, I looked at a few of these. Have you, any, of you, any of you seen the TED Talk? You know what I mean when I say a TED Talk, right? Pretty popular online. Well, their vision statement is two words. It's just this, spread ideas. You know, it's very succinct. It, it says what they're trying. Now, some of those ideas are pretty kooky if you've watched very many TED, TED conferences. Some of them are crazy, and some of them are awesome, but they're doing what they say they do. They're spreading ideas. Here's another one. Uh, Tesla, you know, the, the car, or now they're getting into public transportation. Their vision statement, to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. That's, that's pretty good. See what they did with the accelerate thing there? It's a fast car. What's, what's the next one we got here? I think it's JetBlue Airlines, right? They say, to inspire humanity both in the air and on the ground. I, just, I, like, I like clever vision statements. And, and this may be my favorite, and I love the way it says it, Alzheimer's Association. Their vision statement, a world without Alzheimer's. Isn't that good? We need a vision. We need something that leads us. It helps us to know where it is we're going. See, a vision statement is something, it's a hope for the future, Yes, but it also is a reality for today. It's a hope for who we want to be. It's a hope for what we want our church to, to be like, but it's also a, a way of trying to create what we are today as well. So there's a tension. Yes, we want to become that, but we also want to be that. That's what a vision statement is. I, I'd love for us all to read this together. Can we read the vision statement together this morning? Some of you can memorize it or you can practice memorizing it here as we do this. You ready? Here we go. South City Church exists to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. Good job. Good job. Today I want to just break this down in a few simple steps, can we? Here's the very first thing. South City Church exists to love God. Now, the reality is every individual on the planet who's ever been created their purpose in life is to know and love God. That's, that's why they've been designed, to know and love God. When they don't, they're not living the life that God has designed for them, right? Some of them don't know it, and we need to take the truth to them so they, so they will know that. But every human is designed to know and love God. So it's not so much just for a church. It's for every individual on the planet. So it makes sense that as a church, that's something that we would do. Here's the thing you need to know about our vision statement, though. It's not an individual vision statement. It's not a vision statement. It's not Drew's vision statement. It's not Jerry's vision statement. It's not just your vision statement. The truth is, it can't be what it needs to be alone. The vision has to be realized together in community. We can't do it alone. It has to be lived out. It has to be realized. It has to be understood and created together. Got it? It's, it's something we do together. It has to be done in community. All right, South City Church exists to love God and all people. And all people. But before we get to that, I want, I want to remind you what Jesus said love is, right? What does it mean to love God? For a long time in my life, when I was growing up, I loved to uh, say things, right? I could say something, and if, if I said it and you believed it, well, that's good enough. I might not have to live up to it. I could put up a front, you know. But the truth is, Jesus actually defined what it means to love him. 
And he, in fact, says it has nothing to do with just with what you say. It has to do with how you live. Look what he says in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Hey, that verse revolutionized my relationship with Jesus. For a long time in my life, I thought my relationship with Jesus was sort of like a mask I could put on and go, oh, look, I'm at church. See, I love Jesus. I can sing. I sure love him. Jesus is saying, that's not love. Love is, did you keep my commandments this week? Love is, did you obey me? Are you doing the things I ask you to do? That's what he defines and qualifies as love. Do you love Jesus? Not just do you say you love Jesus, not do you put on your Insta account, I love Jesus, look at these pictures. Look at this event that I went to, I love Jesus. It's good to do, but it's not the definition of what love is according to Jesus. Jesus spends some time with his disciples and he, he kind of breaks this down a little bit further. He goes further in John 14, 21. He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I love that verse. He's saying, yes, you love me if you obey my commands. But not only that, look what you get. I will love you when you love me. And my father will love you. And that's not all. Jesus says he will show himself to us. He'll manifest himself to us. And for those of you who have loved Jesus for any amount of time by keeping his commands, by loving him, you know what I'm talking about. He's revealed himself to you, hadn't he? He shows you the nature of his heart, how much he loves the world, how much he loves you, how much he loves our enemies, how much he loves people. He reveals himself. He manifests himself to you. He goes further in John 15, verse 10. He says, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is what Jesus is saying love is. This is what Jesus is saying will happen when you love that way. You'll, you have his love and he'll show himself to you. And this is the benefit of loving Jesus. Can you imagine if somebody walks up to you at church and you say, how are you doing today? And you go, my joy is full. That, that would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? To say, my joy is completely full. That's honestly, I'm... That's what I feel when I, we're worshiping today. My, my joy felt so full, it was overflowing out of my eyes, out of my heart in worship. My joy is full. And it's full because Jesus put his joy in me. And he wants to put his joy in you. That's what happens when we love God, when we obey God. He makes our joy complete. He makes it full. All right, South City Church loves God, and we love all people. So we know to love God is to obey him, to serve him, to worship him. But Jesus goes on to say, listen, if you love me, really, if you love me, not only do you obey me, you're going to love other people too. It's going to be just a matter of fact. He continues in this same text of Scripture, John 15, 12. It says, this is my commandment. Do you, listen, when he says, this is my commandment, he's ste stepping up the rhetoric just a little bit, okay? <laughs> he's not going, hey, guys, here's a pretty good idea. I want you to love people and you love me. No, he says, hey, listen, I'm commanding you. Do you feel the difference? This is my commandment, he says, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
See, before it was just do unto, do unto someone as you'd have them do unto you, right? And that was kind of how we love. That's the golden rule. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to do the Jesus rule from now on. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you can't just do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Do unto others as I have done unto you. There's a big difference, isn't there? It changes everything. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. He proved it too, didn't he? If you do what I command you, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus says if we love him, we'll love other people. We'll love them in such a way that we'll lay down ourselves. <laughs> we were talking this morning in a meeting about how important it is to sacrifice our time for people. But it's not just our time. We have to sacrifice our selfishness, and that's even harder than giving up time. Some of us waste time on Facebook and you go, wow, that was two hours of my life. I was just looking at a phone, you know. We, we don't have a problem sometimes giving our time away, but when you say, hey, I'm going to give myself away. That's what Jesus is talking about. You know you have a friend when he lays his life down. He gives his, his self, his, all that he has for you. It's what Jesus did for us as an example. He calls us friends and he laid his life down for us. There was a time in Jesus' ministry where the Pharisees were trying to trick him. They were always trying to trick Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus, they thought they were going to stump him. Hey, Jesus, hey, you know, there's a lot of commandments in, in, the, in the Scripture, right? Hey, which one's the most important one? This is a trick question. We want to trick you. We want to, we want to stump you up here. We want to get you in trouble somehow. See, there's 613 commandments. And Jesus says this in Matthew 22, verse 37. And he said to them, this is his response. He goes back to Deuteronomy 6. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Is this a pretty big deal? Jesus says, all the law and all the prophets. In other words, all the scripture we have up to that point, it all hangs upon these two things. Loving God and loving all people. It's a big deal. Jesus said it's a big deal. It's a big deal for our church that we put this out in front of us. That we love God and we love all people. All right, so I want to break this down. On the back of your card this morning, i got a few notes for you. Just to reiterate this point, because it, it took me a while to get through my thick skull on the truth of this. Listen, to love God means to obey his word. Don't say you love Jesus. How many times do we see it on, on uh, award shows or all these different things, oh, I love Jesus, and you're going, okay, well, I appreciate that you said that, yay, I think that guy's a Christian, but that's not what defines him. What defines him is how he lives is he obedient to the word of God? To love God means to obey his word. But here's the second thing. To obey his word, we need accountability. See, when I was in college and I was struggling with sin and struggle and temptation and all these things, and I wanted my heart, my soul wanted to love God more than my words with my life, the thing I came up against immediately was this. This is hard. How, how do you do this? And the very first thing I realized is it can't be done alone. You, you need accountability. 
You need people in your life that will help you love God. We can't do it alone. And that's the reason we weren't created to be alone. And we weren't created to walk this faith alone. To love God means to obey his word. To obey his word, we need accountability. And to have accountability, listen, we need each other. It's just that simple. That's the title of the message this morning. We need each other. We can't walk this life of faith alone. Some people think they have their own little uh, time with God. I'm just going to be on the lake. That's my church. No. That is not scripturally the definition of what it means to, to have a church. Well, me and a few friends, we meet for a Bible study, and it's kind of like church. No, that's not church. It's needed. It is accountability. It is getting in the Word, but that's not a church. We'll get into that at some other point. What defines a church, right? All these ideas are going through my mind to help you understand, but just a group of people, it's, it's a representation of the church. But just a few people getting together to, to hang out is not the church. Is there church discipline? Are there elders? Are there things going on that define? That's what defines a church. God's given us his word to know those definitions. But the, the point I want you to see here is we can't do this alone. Even God said, said that, right? Genesis 2, 18. He said it's not good that man should be alone. This is not just about a marriage relationship. This is about holistically life. We can't do life alone. God saw it and he spoke to it. He said in Genesis from the beginning, it's not good for a man to be alone, for anyone to be alone. Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one of them will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. What Solomon is saying is, the more people you have in your life that you can depend on, that you can count on, that you live in community with, the stronger you are, the better it is. He's trying to tell us we're better together. And when we're alone, bad things can happen. He's saying in this text, if you fall, you might not get up. You know, my back has been kind of crazy in the last month or so. I get that. <laughs> There were moments on the floor that I thought, I'm not getting up. I'll just stay right here, how about? If, if, you, have a, if you have a community around you, I'm just even speaking you know, figuratively, when you're down, you need people to help you up. When you're attacked, even figuratively, whether it be physically, whether it be spiritually, whether it be something going on at all, you need a community of people who will pray for you. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, the problem is in the American church, the Western mindset, just even us as Americans, our whole understanding of, of, of faith, of, of life, it's very individualistic. It's very rugged. We're pioneers, right? We leave one place so we can have independence. The very Western mindset is tough. It's, it's that pioneering spirit. We identify with that. It's, it's a good thing in ways. We have this sort of, I'll take care of me, you take care of you. I will mow every single blade of grass on my side of the yard. You mow every single blade of grass. You, guys, do you deal with that? It's so funny. I love my neighbors. They're very dear friends of ours. But we, we mow, and sometimes he comes over a little bit. I'm like, oh, he can't. 
I'll go right back over there. You know, you do that. We have this individual. This is mine. That's yours. You stay over there. I'll stay over here. It's very, it's very individualistic. In fact, technology is even, I kind of made this worse. You know, what we do is we have, uh, well, we have Facebook. We have these, these platforms that say, we, what, we have, what we can do is say, that looks like a wonderful picnic. And then the subtext that we don't say is, I'm so glad you didn't ask me to come and I didn't have to be there. Hey, I'll just like it. Way to go. Right? Isn't that the subtext? Or, hey, you text somebody. Hey, can you let me know about something? What you're saying? The subtext, I don't want to hear your voice. So if you'll just text me back, we don't actually have to have a conversation. Great. Right? This is supposed to be funny, by the way. Are you all okay? Go, there's coffee back there if you need. So that's, that's what we've become in the Western church. It's, it's about us. It's not about dependence upon each other. It's on independence from each other. But the church, that's not what the church is. It's not what we see in Acts 2. You know, I, I was laughing the other day. I heard a comedian talking about how things have changed in the last 30 years in this topic. He said, he said you know, 30 years ago, when someone would come to your door and they'd knock on the door 30 years ago, everybody in the house gets excited like, oh, who is at the door? You know? I wonder who could be. Is it the neighbors? Maybe they need an egg. You know, maybe the kids are going, they, my friends want me to ride bikes. Maybe there's family that's come by, right? That's not today, is it? Today, seriously, you know what it is. Today, think about it, 7 o'clock at night, you hear, you put on your bulletproof vest, you go full on FBI next to the door. Who, who is it? You don't even dare look out the thing, you know. You're like, uh-uh. Uh, no kidding. About a year ago, we came home from dinner. It was, it was late at night. And it uh, wasn't that late. But we come in, and, and my neighbor's yard, one of his sprinkler meters had, had busted, and it was pouring out water in his yard. And I thought, oh, i got to tell my neighbor. So I run up to his yard. I'm waiting. I don't hear anything. Finally, I hear, who is it? Same exact scene, right? I'm like, hey, it's Drew. I'm a couple houses down. He's like, oh, okay. He's opening the door as he's laying his pistol on the dining room table. No kidding. And I'm thinking, hi. Good to, good to see you. Just me. And uh, so that's what, that's what it's like today. It's changed a little bit, hasn't it, in 30 years. We're not dependent upon each other, but the reality is we are better when we understand that we need to be together. It's the way God designed it in our lives. It's the way God designed the church. I've told you before, I, I'm kind of geeky when, I, when it comes to television. I love the Discovery Channel. I love National Geographic. I love those kind of shows. And if you've ever seen one of those shows about like the Serengeti or the Safari, you ever seen those shows? And they show predators, right? Maybe lions, might be wolves or whatever. My wife won't let me watch that around the kids. But, so I'm in there watching this kind of stuff. Oh, what's going to happen with that big lion, you know? Who are the first ones to get killed? The weak and the young. Just like what Tracy just said, the weak ones. So if there's a brand new baby that you know, can't walk that good and gets away from the herd, you might as well lay it on down. You're dead. You know, if there's a little baby elephant that gets away from the herd and goes back to the water, alligators, it's the same in life. As a believer in Jesus, listen, if you get away from the herd, the enemy will take you out. 
if you live in such a way that you're alone, you're a loner, I'm good, I got this. If you live in such a way that you think you don't need people, you are the young and the weak that are about to be taken out. Look at this scripture, what it says in 1 Peter verse five, uh, chapter five and verse eight. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Is that not exactly what I just said? That is what the enemy does. He, he, he's, he's prowling. He's deceptive. He wants to see you slip up. He wants to see you say, it's not that big of a deal to be part of a small group. It's not that big of a deal to be really connected in a church. I'll do my own thing. He wants to see you alone because when he can get you pulled away from the herd, that's when you die. That's when he attacks. That's when he pounces on you. One of my favorite writers and heroes, martyr of World War II, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book, a great book on community called Life Together. He says this in that book. He says, sin demands to have a man by himself. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. That's exactly my point. Sin longs to have. It demands to have a man by himself. There's power in sin when we're alone. And it weakens when we're together. It's the point of connectedness. South City Church exists to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. The truth is, we won't desire to be a disciple. You see, when I was in college, I knew Jesus. I was becoming a disciple. But my understanding of church and relationship with God is, hey, I'll just say I love God and that'll be enough. And a dear friend showed me that verse, John 14, 15, John 14, 21, and John 15, 10. And he said, it's not just what you say, it's what you do. All of a sudden, my discipleship began to grow. And now I knew it wasn't just what I said, it's what I did with my life that defined me as a disciple of Jesus. See, our, our, our vision statement says, we exist to love God and all people. How do we do that? By becoming disciples. We have to learn what the gospel says about who we are and how we live and how we love people if we're going to love God and other people. In fact, you know what? Who cares about other people unless you read the word of God? And, and Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless and don't curse. If you're not a disciple, you would be cursing and not blessing. Am I right? That's exactly what you'd be doing. But the Bible says that's not the way a Christian lives. That's not the way a person who loves Jesus acts. We're counterculture. We want to love people. We want to be Christ followers, a student of the word. Here's the thing. We need each other. You can't actually become a disciple unless somebody disciples you. Right? Paul said, how will they hear unless someone goes? You can't be a disciple unless somebody disciples you. And you know what? You can't be a disciple. The disciple God wants you to be unless you're discipling someone else. We need each other. It's a cyclical thing. Someone disciples us. We disciple someone else. That's the way it works. You know, there's a big difference in being with a, a bunch of people 
and belonging to a bunch of people. You know what I mean? Have you ever been in a big crowd? Uh, maybe it's a football game. Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's the fair. or some. There's a lot of people around. Have you ever been in that crowd by yourself? Maybe you came with some people and they had to leave, and all of a sudden you're like, well, I don't want to leave the movie or I don't want to leave the game, or, and you're sitting there by yourself. Is, there not, is that not the most lonely place on the earth? Now, you're, officially, you're not alone. You're with a whole lot of people, but you're completely alone, aren't you? It feels so isolated. I don't know anybody. But what happens when you go with your, your friends? Man, when you go to the game with your friends, it doesn't matter about anybody else. You're strong. You're having fun. You're telling jokes. You're pushing people. Having, you're, you're enjoying yourself. Do you see the difference in being with a group of people? By the way, subtext is this is being with a group of people. You can come to church and go, hey, I like being with that group of people and not belong to that group of people. Or you can belong to a group of people and have confidence in who you are in Jesus. You can belong to a group of people and live out of the joy that Jesus has given you to make your life full. Do you see the difference in being in a crowd and belonging to a crowd? It's not enough to be in the crowd. If you're a true disciple of Jesus, you need to belong to a crowd. You need to belong to a crowd. In fact, I think the uh, majority of the text of the New Testament is not written for this context, okay? For somebody like me to stand up and read the word, and it, it's written to small groups of people. It's letters written to individuals. That's, that's the context of the New Testament is groups of people together. Listen, at South City Church, you need to know that this is our vision. We love people. We love God. But the reality is the only way we can live out this vision, listen, the only way we can live out this vision is together. We need each other, and not just in a big context like this, in real life relationship, in real life struggle, victory, joy, prayer, study, connection. We need that with each other. And so because of that, our strategy for getting there is small groups. We call them South City, South City groups. Uh, we want to be a church of small groups. You know what I mean when I say that? See, some churches are churches with a small group. You know, we started two small groups over here. We've got a couple of small groups. We want, instead, we want to be a church made up of small groups. We want it to be the heartbeat of who we are because we believe in that kind of small group community is where people are blessed the most, where they know the Lord most. In fact, to be a partner, to join here at South City is saying, hey, I value small group community. To be a partner saying, I'm willing to give my life to other people in small group community. I get that. It's the kind of life together that we see in Acts 2 and Acts 4. It's the kind of life together that, that really is caring for one another, encouraging one another, lifting one another up, and helping under, uh, one another understand the truths of God's word. Let me, let me explain this or share this quote with you. Um, this book right here is called Transformational Groups uh, by Ed Stetzer and Eric Geiger. Ed is a, um, well, he's kind of a researcher. He's a very brilliant guy. He wrote this book about small groups. And I just think it's very interesting what he says uh, about people who are removed from community. This is what it says. It says, the Christ follower outside of community. The Christ follower who's not a part of a community is living in disobedience. 
Community is assumed. If I'm out of community, I'm out of God's will. The church, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and the definition of that is a gathering of called out ones. They're called out of the darkness, out of hiding, out of shame, and into relationship with God and others through Jesus. Listen to this. As related believers, we are no longer unknown, independent people who are disassociated with one another and with God. And I would even add that if you, who we are, we're known people. We're known people who are dependent upon each other and associated with each other and God. That's who we need to be. I've just got a question for you this morning. Are you a part of a group like that? If you're a Christ follower out of that type of community, you're living your life in, in, in disobedience. You need to be in a community that loves you and understands you and supports you. You know, Ed in this book has some metrics that I just think are very interesting, and we're going to close in just a little bit. I want to show them to you. If This is the difference between if you're out of a small group or in a small group, okay? So uh, do you read the Bible? Well, if you're not in a small group, 27% do. If you're in a small group, 67% will. Pray for my church. uh, I can't read it that far. Here it is. Pray for my church and other church leaders. 30% if you're not in a group, 64% if you are. Do you study the Bible? Only 10% if you're out of a group will study the Bible, whereas 42% in a group will. You see where we're going with this? Pray in a group with other Christians, 7%. But if you're in a group, 36% will. Pray for fellow Christians, I know, 54%. But if you're in a group, 82%. Pray for people who need to know Jesus. If you're out of a group, only 35% will pray. But if you're in group, 60% will pray. Confess my sins and wrongdoings to God and ask forgiveness. If you're not in a group, 54% might pray that prayer. If you're in a group, you'll almost 80%. We're better together. So how do we do that at South City Church? Uh, we do this, three C's. Everybody say three C's. Are y'all awake? Come on, three C's. There we go. Community. <laughs> Community, this is the first one. What is community? The Greek word is koinonia. It's fellowship. It's life together, walking life together. It's knowing and being known. So I I could have gone down and explained this even further, but I think a stronger explanation of this would be uh, from somebody who's walking it. So Amber, come up here and join me this morning. Yeah, let's give her a hand. Amber Twigger. I love this lady. She is awesome. We get to uh, worship from her worship leadership, this wonderful smile. She's always worshiping from a a heart of joy. So I just ask Amber, many of you are friends with Amber on Facebook. You know that she's involved in the Lens uh, City group, which we see on the screen this morning. It's a beautiful group. God's doing beautiful things in that group. I'm so proud of them, and I love them so dearly. This is, well, I'm going to let her explain it, but Basically, the question I want you just to kind of help us with this morning is, what does it mean for you, now that you're in this group? What is community meaning to you? How is it changing your heart and life? And explain the picture and just help us understand that. That's great. Thank you for letting me share my story this morning. Um, for me, the word community has changed so much just because I grew up in a church that, you know, we go to church on Sunday and don't really have a community outside of that. Um, And so what I've learned from being in this small group, um, just to give you kind of a backstory of of my um, past few months, um, 
you know, we were going through book two and, um, you know, I told you, I was like, hey, I loved my first group, but I just really want to know some more people, different people and join this group. And um, I look back now and it's just crazy how God pieced everything together um, because literally a couple weeks after joining that group, um, the bottom of my life just fell out and had some really crazy things going on with my family. Uh, my mom just chose to move 20 hours away from my dad and my sister and just really struggling with a lot of depression and crazy things on my end. Um, and I just, I didn't know how much I needed, um, needed that community. And um, I've never felt so loved and just this group of people backing me up and just, um, like you said, you know, picking me up when I feel like I'm on the floor. Um, and just to continue on, you know, that continuation of selflessness from these group of people, this group of people, um, you know, I had to move suddenly and, um, you know, God provided in crazy ways, but I just was not expecting my group to literally lay their lives down to help me. Um, it started off with, you know, the Thursday before I moved, um, had the girls over from my small group and they helped me clean. And it was more than that. It was, they helped me clean. Yes. But they prayed over me and prayed over my house and, um, you know, blessed me more than I could ever really say. Um, and then, so that Saturday, the picture that you guys see on the screen, um, you know, I woke up and I was so nervous about moving because I'm like, is anybody going to show up? You know, that's just kind of a feeling that I felt. Um, and then, of course, there's like 13 people at my door um, wanting to help. And just, I mean, it, it was insane. Um, we moved everything maybe in less than like an hour. <laughs> um, but just, just the word community has changed so much just because I literally consider these people family. And, um, you know, that night where... Um, the girls in my small group, we were sitting in our in my house and they were just praying over me. I just looked around and these this group of people that I thought, you know, were just people suddenly became, you know, just family so quickly. And so I cannot stress enough um, how important it is for you to be a part of a group. Um, it really I can't explain it <laughs> um, in, in great words, but that's just kind of my story and how um, the Lord has really um chosen to really break down my self selfishness because I, I hate asking for help and that kind of thing. But, um, he's really taught me a lot through, um, our, our small group. And I love, I love you guys wherever you are. You're welcome. Thank you, Amber. I want you to look at that picture just for a second. There's not a put on smile in that picture. Do you see that? These are not people that are like, Oh, we got a picture. You know, you don't see any of those. I'm here. These are, this is, these are smiles from their souls. That's what community does in your life and mine. Here's the second C. Everybody say care. Well, when they came to move Amber, that's what they were doing. They had already built community in, the, in their hearts, in their relationship, praying over her. That was, that was good community. But they also cared for her need when she moved. Somebody else that, that we've had the privilege of helping, caring for in a way is Cherry Hilton. Cherry, come up for a second if you can. The light's bright. We love Cherry, Miss Cherry. Deja and William are her kiddos. So uh, tell us just a second, and you can sit or you don't have to. 
Uh, tell us, what has it meant for you for a church to, to come around you and support you and love you? So this, I love this picture, by the way. Let me explain this picture. We helped Miss Cherry get into an apartment, and we had, this was at the end of our lunch. You guys, we had 60 people at this restaurant to celebrate getting her in that apartment. And this is the end of it when we took a picture. But anyway, tell us a little bit about what, how has God shown you himself, his love for you, through a community as for people caring for you. Can you explain it? Um, um, this, this past year, over a year, has been amazing since I've um, started coming to South City. And um, most, most of my life, my church experience has been, you know, just calm on Sundays and maybe a, a Wednesday. And I've basically just felt by myself alone most of the time having to deal things on my own. Um, I have been struggling and struggling, um, trying to provide for my kids by myself. And, I, you, and it's hard. It's hard being a parent, whether there's both of them or just one. And um, uh, I've been in a few few groups, uh, and they've been an awesome experience. I love love meeting everybody. Um, I learned so much, and I, I feel I feel the love from from everybody. There's nothing fake about it. I love how we can, you know tell what's really going on. We can talk about real life. There's no judgment, and there's always someone there that can relate, and, and that helps. That, that totally helps to have that support. Um, the move, that, that was awesome. I had been living in a, a, a motel for a couple of months because um, a house that I had planned on moving to didn't work out and um, found a place, got paid for it, but most of my um, housing things got destroyed. So I had to go in with an unfurnished apartment. And so I, I hear about this housewarming. Um, I wasn't expecting anything big, just you know, some kitchen supplies and sheets or whatever. And y'all showed up and showed out for me. <laughs> um, that, that, that was such a big blessing, um, a great experience. And my son, you know, the typical teenage boy, you know, he's strong and non-emotional. But um, once he saw his room, he had total, total joy on his face, and that's that's amazing for a parent. There's nothing better than seeing your your kids happy, and um, I really appreciate that. Y'all took a lot of stress off of me. Moving is stressful under good conditions, and um, I, I love feeling, feeling the love. I love you. South City groups are about three C's, community, care, 
and the Great Commission. That's the, that's the focus of what we want our, our city groups to be about. We want to be real life with each other. We want to enjoy each other, care for each other, know each other. We want to care for each other when there's needs like the, the ones we've mentioned this morning. But it's not just about us. It's not a dinner club, right? We've got to have a bigger purpose than just relationships with each other. We've been called by God to take the beauty of the gospel, not only to our own lives and families, but to the world. And so we have to have a missional mindset. One of our core values is missional living. In other words, being consistent, uh, being considerate of what mission means for me and my family. Whether I'm out to lunch, whether there's a guy on the corner, or whether our small group can serve in a soup kitchen, you know, whatever the community engagement is another a core value for us. Whatever it means to, to be missional in our hearts, to know that we're something more than our own lives. So one of the things we're celebrating this morning is we've got a couple of groups. Well, one group uh, was the Helm Group. And Tim had led a, uh, by the way, he wasn't very fond of the idea of being interviewed in front of you this morning. So he chose to work with the kids. <laughs> He's just a servant. He's like, yeah, I'll be in the kids serving. So, uh, but his wife is here. I'm so thankful. Uh, come on up, Rebecca. And so, yeah. So Tim and Rebecca took their first principles group, and they had kind of been doing first principles, and they said, we want to try it. And then came along another couple that said, we want to join them and help them, and that's Scott and Ellie Williams. Will you guys come up? Love them too. Hey, and this is what's interesting. There weren't a whole lot of people in that group. It was like the four or five of them, right? And they said, that's okay. We want to be missional. We want to be about the Great Commission. We know that it's not just about us. There's something greater at play than just us connecting. And so they got together. They started doing group with four or five or whoever would come. And, then, and their group meets here in southwest Little Rock. And then they started inviting people in the neighborhood and people from the church. Their group started blowing up, and they'd have 17, 18 people in their group. Well, now what I want you to celebrate with me is the fact that Scott and Ellie are now stepping out and they're multiplying their group from the Helm group and the Williams group. Now the Williams are going to have a group over in Otter Creek, which is the very, yeah, let's celebrate that. But from the beginning, they've known this is not just about us. We want to do community. We want to care for each other, but there's something greater. There's people who need Jesus. There's people who need the kind of love that we're experiencing and, show, and showing. And so they're, they're multiplying their group and they're going to have two groups. And I wanted you to hear from their hearts uh, kind of what's been going on in regards to the commission, in regards to multiplying and just trying to meet needs in their group. Rebecca, do you want to share just a little bit about that? Well, um, I can tell you what I feel about doing this. Um, I feel like for the first time in my life, I really have an important part to play in in mission work and uh, evangelism and in uh, doing what the Lord wants me to do um, and I'm so proud of my husband um, he is very very good at mentoring young men and mostly what we've done um, I see the fruit that has come from that with uh, Tawan and with Tim and then we see my nephew here Seth uh, Tim loves these boys, um, young men, 
and really pours his heart out uh, to them and is there available 24-7 for them whenever they need anything. Um, and so, and I, and we also see um, really leadership uh, potential in all these uh, young young people. Um, and uh, I'm, I just appreciate the the uh, opportunity to serve in this way. Um, we also feed everybody, so they really enjoy that too. Uh, it's kind of hard sometimes uh, to, to be somewhere at night at 6 o'clock, right? And uh, your family and so forth. And so uh, this is uh, part of um, our sacrifice is to do this for the people in our group. Yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. Listen, Tawan's like me. We can put some groceries away. So that's, that's saying something that they feed folks. I wanted you to hear from Scott and Ellie just their heart. From one of the first times we met, Scott started talking about uh, other groups in Otter Creek. He's got a vision for what could happen in Otter Creek and in homes. And so, Scott, would you just kind of share a little bit of that heart with us? Sure. There's really not that much to it. Um, we live in a community. Otter Creek has about 1,050 houses. And uh, to think of, you know, having three or four groups is really thinking kind of small. But, um, you know, we had been at Fellowship for many years, and uh, we heard that, uh, that Drew was, um, was replanting um, Temple Baptist as, um, um, as South City Church. And we heard some good things happening here. We wanted to check it out. And Otter Creek's only 10 minutes away, so that was a big plus, too. Uh, but we met so many great people here, and it kind of uh, it, it kind of uh, uh, boosted our idea of maybe doing the same thing in Otter Creek. Um, Otter Creek is a good, balanced community, white, black, Hispanic, uh, and so it really represents what I see as I look out in this congregation here. It's a great opportunity uh, to start groups in that area, and not just to start groups, but we want to disciple people in our group. We want to become disciples who disciple. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea of starting another group is to start another group from that, right. uh, to continue to multiply and reach out to uh, more needs uh, than what we've already seen so far. God has brought uh, a lot of opportunity to our group uh, with the Helms to minister to needs, but there are so many more needs out there. And this gives us an opportunity to... Um, to grow together and then multiply to meet more needs. Yep. Did you want to say anything? Say anything else? What he said, bless. Um, it, it it has been beautiful to finally. We've been in small groups for many years, but to be in a small group where there's such diversity, it's challenging, and um, it's encouraging because that's what the body of Christ is. So um, we want to see that happen in our neighborhood as well. Give them a hand, you guys. So the bottom line is this. South City Church and South City Groups, we're about making disciples. It's what Jesus said is the why we exist, and so that's what we want to be about. But the reality is we can't be authentic disciples, and we can't make disciples alone, removed from community. We have to do it together, and we're better together. Here's the question I'm going to end with here. Do you have a, a city group you're a part of? 
Some of you go to our legacy group, and that's awesome. We consider that a city group. Some of you go to other groups, and many of you have not really connected into one yet. We want you to do that today. That's the bottom line. This map shows you kind of all over the city uh, what we have going with different groups. It, just here at this location at South City, we've got about three groups. We have 11 groups going right now. We have groups in North Little Rock, two in Southwest Little Rock, three at the church, uh, one in Bryant, one between Bryant and West Little Rock, one in West Little Rock. We've got groups around the city, and we want you to plug into one because we're better together, right? All right, so here's the thing. Uh, Daryl sent me this article, and I th I'm so glad he did. It's, there's been a study from Harvard. It's been going for 80 years. It's, it's considered the most comprehensive study on health and happiness ever conducted. Some of the first people interviewed were John F. Kennedy and his family. And they've done this study for 80 years, and they're trying to figure out what makes people happy and healthy. Do you know what the main thing was? Relationships. And not just like business relationships, not acquaintances, relationships that involved honesty, authenticity, saying I'm sorry, connecting, encouraging, blessing, lifting up. What does that sound like to you? Yeah, It's the church, the way it should be. The people, and it's no, it's no accident, right? Jesus said, I've come to bring you life and life more abundantly. It's his way. He wants to make your joy full, and that can only be done in community. So we just encourage you this morning. Listen, we're going to have lunch. I'm going to give you some details in just a minute. Uh, it's going to be a great lunch. We're, we've set up lunch in small groups. So some of you want to, uh-oh, I'm not in a small group. That's okay. Find one you can eat with. They'll all just sit there and eat with you, all right? But we want you to connect with people. Uh, and we'll, we'll tell you the details in just a minute. But the reason we're doing this is so that you can begin to build some more relationships and find a group that will connect with you so that your joy may be full and your life may be exactly what God's calling it to be in community, accountability. That's who we want for you. That's what we want for you. So I want to pray for us, and then I'll give you some details for lunch. Father God, thank you for these friends. Thank you for South City Church. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Lord, we know that you didn't create us to live alone. We know that in our best, even, even science today is saying the best life we can have is when it's lived in, in true community, connection, and care with other people. God, would you help us to do that? Many of us may have been wounded by the church. Many of us may have been wounded by a small group situation. Many of us may have been walking through something that has broken our hearts. But, Lord, my, my prayer is that they would see that this is your plan through your word and there is no plan B. That we're called to forgive. We're called to heal. We're called to re-engage after those moments of disappointment and discouragement. And we're called to enter, re-enter where there may be risks. But Lord, we're called to be together. We know that to be true. So Lord, I pray for, for this lunch today. God, I pray that you'd bless our food bless our lives, bless all that we're going to do today as we enjoy each other and we get excited about what you're doing in us through each other and through these groups and through your work by the Holy Spirit in South City Church. So Father, thank you for this time. May every person here 
have a family and not just this big room of people, a true family of believers that they surround their lives with so that they can be all you're calling them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me-